This is our last week of the story of God. Uh, during the last four weeks, we have been listening and responding to the story of the Bible. Um, and we do this every year. Um, often our approach to the Bible can be to look for answers, doctrines, methods, rules, which those things are found in Scripture. But at heart, the Bible is a story with a beginning, middle, and end. And so every year at Citizens, we take time to experience the Bible as a story, uh, to listen to it, to react to it, um, depending on where you are uh, in your life, like what's going on in your life and in the world, we sort of come to it differently every year. Um, we always try to recap, and so with each week, the recap gets longer and longer. So I'm gonna just go ahead and jump in on being the last week and recap um, where we're at, and then we'll uh, start fresh. Um, here is what has happened so far in the story. A being called God created all things. God alone always does what is good, right, and perfect. God created human beings in his image and gave them everything they needed to live full and happy lives. The first humans were called Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they did, they would die. A serpent came sometime later, who we later learned was Satan, and he tempted them to eat the fruit and disobey God, and they did. And God brought punishment to Adam and Eve. They felt ashamed of what they had done. God showed them grace, though, and promised them that one day a greater man than them would come and set all things right. Despite God's mercy and despite Adam and Eve's shame, humanity did not improve. In fact, it got worse. They were dangerously broken, and so was the world. Humans hurt and killed each other, destroyed the earth, and rejected God. It was so bad that God decided to destroy everything with a flood, but there was one man, Noah, who found favor with God. And so God decided to begin again with him. Things didn't go much better with Noah, though. And so God chose one man, Abraham, and took a different tactic. He promised to save the world through his offspring. He would make it happen. They would be his people, and God promised to give them back all that had been lost as a result of sin. He would save them, not just for their sake, but so that the world would be saved through them. God would bless the world through blessing Abraham. Sometimes his people obeyed God and followed him, but many times they continued to disobey him. A pattern developed where over and over again, humans would disobey God and he would rightly judge their disobedience, their actions, but would also at the same time offer grace and forgiveness, allowing them to return to him. Uh, God later created a system of sacrifice where people could offer the blood of an animal in place of their own blood as a consequence for their sin. And this provided forgiveness, but it could never produce a perfect people. They continued to sin. The cycle continued. Throughout God's interactions with his people, he used certain people to lead. Judges who protected and fought for them. Priests who helped offer their sacrifices and served as a mediator between them and God. Kings who would rule over them and uphold God's justice and maintain peace. Prophets who spoke God's truth to the people, reminding them to believe and obey God. While these leaders at times rescued the Israelites from their circumstances, none of them were able to rescue the Israelites from themselves. They continued to fail God's covenant again and again and again. And many of the leaders failed themselves, adding to Israel's failure. The prophets told Israel, though, about a Messiah who was coming. Messiah means anointed one. And he would be a king who would reign forever. 
Rescue them from slavery once and for all. Be a perfect high priest who would care for their needs. He would provide for them a final atoning sacrifice so they would no longer have to make sacrifices for themselves. This Messiah would fulfill the covenant himself and make with them a new covenant. After 400 years of silence, we finally met this Messiah, this promised one. His name was Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. Jesus was born uniquely, both a descendant of King David and born from the Holy Spirit. Jesus grew up and always did what was good and right and perfect. He was baptized, and at his baptism, a voice from heaven came and declared Jesus to be the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was tempted by Satan, just like Adam and Eve, but he resisted. Even in the worst of circumstances, his love and devotion to God never faltered. He always believed God, trusted God, and obeyed God. Many people adored Jesus, but not the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group who believed that the Messiah would only come if they followed God's laws perfectly. And even though Jesus was doing good things, they believed he was trampling on God's law in the process. Not only that, Jesus was a heretic. He claimed he could forgive sins and that he was God's unique son, a God alongside God. We've listened to quite a few fights between Jesus and the Pharisees, and today we will hear their final clash. But first, let's pray. Dear Father, we pray for this uh, final day of the story of God. We're so thankful for the Bible. It is such a rich story. It captures humanity, both the beauty and glory of humanity and the world and its tragedy so well. We can see ourselves, we can see our desires, our emotions, our failures, our insecurities, uh, just written all across the people of God. And then we see Jesus who just captures us. He is a beautiful person, and we are so thankful for him. Father, as we enter the last story, uh, the part of the story that many of us know the best, it's the the most memorable that Jesus dies and um, is raised from the dead. Um, Help us to hear it freshly this morning, uh, to listen to it as if we're listening to it for the first time, because we may be used to it, but it if we were hearing it for the first time, it would be flabbergasting to us. And so help us to be flabbergasted this morning. Uh, Help us to listen, help us to encourage one another as we answer questions, to challenge one another. I pray that we would be pricked this morning, um, but in the best, kindest way. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So we're in act four, redemption, and the scene is one final meal. Jesus and his disciples traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Everywhere he went, he had compassion on people and met their needs. The Pharisees, though, and other Jewish leaders were becoming increasingly upset with Jesus and his claims. He continued to tell people that he could forgive them, and this enraged the Jewish leaders. They saw this as the ultimate disrespect to God. They looked for ways to trap Jesus into saying something they could arrest him for, but Jesus was too wise for them. Many of his stories pointed out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Jesus said, When the Pharisees and teachers share with you God's commands, listen to them, but don't follow their example. They don't live out what they teach. 
the high priest met with these leaders to discuss capturing Jesus and putting him to death. We can't arrest him during the Passover, they agreed, or it will create a huge riot. Jesus and his 12 disciples met together in a home to celebrate a meal called the Passover. During the meal, Jesus picked up some bread, thanked God for it, and broke it into pieces. Giving it to his disciples, he said, take this and eat it. This is my body given for you. And then Jesus picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He gave them the cup and said, all of you drink this. It is my blood given for you, a new covenant between God and people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Remember me when you continue to eat and drink these things together. Jesus told them, when you see what happens tonight, you will all abandon me. It is part of God's plan that I will be betrayed and die, but don't fear, I will rise again from the dead. He knew that his disciple Judas would betray him, bringing Jewish soldiers to capture him later that night when no one was around. After the meal, when it was dark, Jesus went to pray, and filled with pain and sorrow, he pleaded with God, Father, if there is another way besides my death, please let that happen, but I will do whatever you ask. Death and resurrection. Just as he had finished praying, Judas showed up with an armed mob. He greeted Jesus with a kiss, a sign to show the guards which one they should arrest. Jesus said to them, am I a dangerous criminal that you need weapons to capture me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple where I've been teaching every day? No, this is part of God's plans, just as the prophets predicted long ago. When the guards arrested Jesus and dragged him away, the disciples ran away and hid. The guards beat Jesus and brought him before the Jewish leaders for questioning. They asked, are you the Messiah, the son of God? And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see me seated next to God in power, coming back on the clouds of heaven. These were the symbols of his authority and power. And when Jesus said this, the high priest tore his clothing in horror and said, any man who claims to be God must be put to death. Then they struck Jesus on the face and they spit on him. Jesus was brought to the Roman governor Pilate since Jews could not execute anyone without official approval. The Jewish leaders stirred up the crowd and pressured Pilate to have Jesus put to death. And they shouted, the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate feared a riot would break out. So he handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Jesus was brutally beaten and whipped by the soldiers. They put a crown of sharp thorns on his head and a purple robe around his shoulders. Hail the king of the Jews, they laughed. All night, the Roman soldiers continued to beat Jesus and mock him. When morning came, they led Jesus to a place called Skull Hill. Like a criminal, Jesus was nailed to a heavy wooden cross between two thieves Crucifixion was the most cruel and humiliating way to die. Hanging there, naked, he cried out, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At noon, darkness filled the skies, blocking out the sun for three hours. And suddenly, the thick curtain hanging in the temple tore down the middle. And at that moment, Jesus shouted, Father, I give you my life. It is finished. And then Jesus breathes his last and died. The soldiers broke the legs of the criminals crucified next to Jesus to speed up their death so they would suffocate. But when they found that Jesus was already dead, they didn't break his legs. 
To be sure, though, one of the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear. Blood and water poured out, a phenomenon that only happens after death. Late Friday afternoon, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, wrapped in long strips of cloth, and buried in a rich man's tomb. A large stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb, and Roman guards were posted to make sure nothing happened to his body. There, Jesus' body lay, dead and lifeless. Early on Sunday morning, some of the women who followed Jesus went to prepare his body for burial to honor him in his death. When they arrived at the tomb, they saw the stone rolled away and the soldiers were gone. And suddenly two angels appeared. They said, why are you surprised? You are looking for Jesus, but he is not here. He has been raised from the dead. And the women were excited, but afraid and hurried to tell the disciples the amazing news. And some of the disciples ran back to the tomb in disbelief and looked inside for themselves, and Jesus was not there. In fact, Jesus appeared to his disciples many times over the next 40 days. They touched him. They saw him eat food and perform miracles again. Jesus reminded them of his teaching about the kingdom and opened their minds to understand how the whole story of the world had led up to him, his life, death, and resurrection. Over 500 people saw Jesus alive in those 40 days. It's a big part of the story. Let's take some time to hear it, listen to it, and to dialogue about it. In the story, Jesus was condemned to die by three groups. The religious leaders condemned him, the political leaders, Pilate, condemned him, and then the crowd condemned him as well. What is significant about this? What might be? Yeah, especially the crowd. You're like disappointed in humanity in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, you would have expected somebody. Um, and then who else didn't stand up for him in the story? The disciples. Yeah. Judas, yeah. Yeah, that is, I've never thought about that before. How the disciples hid alongside Adam and Eve. 
yeah, it's, it's really just a great way to summarize the whole story <laughs> where everybody, um, you know, no matter how you tried to restart or find some like good, um, persistent good, it just didn't work. Maggie, were you gonna say anything? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, everybody had different reasons for sure. Um, yeah, even Pilate, who seems to like not care as much, but still can't bring himself to stand up to the crowd when he knows something's off. Why does Jesus submit to their killing him? Why does God the Father allow it? Um, why do you think that, and then how is it explained in the story? Yeah, that vulnerability in the garden is such a beautiful thing. Um, and in contrast to other like ancient heroes like Socrates, who's sort of like boldly drinking hemlock, you know, a martyr, and, and to see Jesus is more honest about death being terrible than Socrates ever could be, you know. Um, it's powerful. Yeah. 
yeah, that suffering is real um, and meaningful and hurts. Yeah, it makes you wonder, to Bryn's point, where people are so content with the status quo, like other, you know, the disciples coming to that point and bailing, and Jesus Jesus pushed through. So he was with the disciples, but they weren't willing to go as far as, as he went. Um, where were the disciples when Jesus was crucified? Youth, what did, what did they do? In the garden, where did they go? Yeah, they hid somewhere, yep. They ran away. Um, how do you think they were feeling at that moment? So, so forget about the resurrection for a second. How were the disciples feeling? Thinking about their all the things that they would lose, their families, you know, maybe not even just themselves. Maybe maybe their families would be ostracized. You know, there's that phrase like this is the hill I'm going down. Is that did that come from the story? I don't know. Um And it feels like there's like the contrast to where, you know, and if we think of other stories, the hill you're dying on where you're, you're fighting. So like, if you imagine Jesus like fighting against the Romans, that his friends maybe would have more likely done it. But the fact that Jesus just like offered himself, that that was what just freaked them out. Um, as opposed to defending a friend who's defending himself. Jesus isn't defending himself. What? is happening, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was to, they, they were certain death, you know? Uh, what about the Pharisees? How do you think they were feeling in this time? Judas, Pilate, the other characters in the story. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah, because in the story, he says that he's going to be killed, but don't worry, I'll be resurrected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have been scared in that moment, really, mm -hmm. because uh, they know he's going to rise, and yet they could not comprehend it. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, even talking about that confusion part, where it's like Peter did try to cut off the ear of one of the soldiers, mm -hmm. and Yeah. You're probably just like, wait, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. Why are you doing that? Like, these people are going to kill you. So that probably also can confuse them of, like, you know, loving your enemies. Like, literally what you said, you're doing. You're yeah. Like, okay, this guy's like, he's literally doing what he's preaching. Yeah. Do we think that the Pharisees, Judas, Pilate, also had a barrage of emotions? What would what would that barrage be from the other side? Mm. You know, like it's it is. I do feel a little bit through this telling of the story, like the the weight of the Roman Empire going like there's a little bit of like know your place that I that I 
Mm. So, Skip, you know, 36 hours ahead, what changes for each of these parties when Jesus is raised from the dead? Another whirlwind of emotions, you know? What kinds of emotions are in the disciples, Pharisees? Judas doesn't get to witness the resurrection, it seems. Um, we don't really know, but that's how it feels in, this, in the story. It seems like he doesn't never know about it. That's great, yeah. And just thinking that they are, in the disciples' case, like happy wrong, you know? It's a great thing to be wrong about, <laughs> you know? And even, yeah, just reflecting on your uh, earlier observation, how the disciples ran away and then they're running towards uh, the tomb is really beautiful. statements about like about the fall and feeling like is God a God who like sets us up and then like the flood is he a God of violence um, and like this is the moment when he recycles violence into mercy mm -hmm. resurrection mm -hmm. and that's the God who I want to follow you know and I think if we if we see it in terms of like Jesus is the best representation of God's character mm -hmm. 
So that's like, I don't know if this is a feeling, but that's how I feel about the story. Is you see the like historical narrative and all the experiences that the Jews had up to this point, their definition of God was was violence and anger and fear. And all of a sudden, um, Jesus comes on the scene and they're expecting, you know, to, to be redeemed through violence and mm-hmm. to, for Jesus to like come riding on a white horse and kill the, uh, you know, the, the evil empire um, with his X-Wing, right? But mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't do that, right? He, he takes that death upon himself. And, yeah. And that's where yeah. like all the pieces start to make sense for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they are redeemed through violence, but it's through like his receiving yeah, of violence it's, it's against himself. Like you said before. Mm-hmm. It's not like drawing the sword, it's like taking that violence upon himself. Yeah. One thing Let's move forward. Speaking of explanation, judge, priest, king, and prophet. Jesus' new kingdom had come. He had conquered sin and death once and for all by dying on the cross and coming back to life. He spent time with his disciples, revealing all of the mysteries and truths behind the stories he told and the miracles he had performed before his death. He went back through the Old Testament, showing them that everything that had happened with the people of Israel all pointed to him. The covenant with Abraham, the sacrifice made for sins, the time of the judges, the priests, the kings, and the prophets, this was all about him. He had fulfilled all of these promises. He showed them how he is the true and best judge. Because he perfectly did what humans do not do, which is to obey and submit to God, he now sits as the righteous judge, but he is gentle, loving, forgiving, accepting all of the guilty people who come to him asking for forgiveness because he took their punishment. 
He taught them how he is the true and best priest. Like their priest, Jesus offered a sacrifice to satisfy the law of God when he offered himself for their sins. But unlike the human priests who had to continually offer sacrifices, not just for the people, but for themselves, Jesus only had to offer his sacrifice once, gaining eternal forgiveness for all who come to God through him. Jesus is also a priest that people can come directly to. There is no longer a need for another mediator between humans and God. Jesus is the mediator. He taught them how he is the perfect prophet, the very voice of God. He told them that his words to them were the same as God speaking directly to them and that everything they needed to know about God, he had taught them. Jesus is also the perfect king, the only king that always did what was good, right, and perfect. He told his disciples to call him Lord and that he has dominion over angels, demons, humanity, the earth, righteousness, salvation, sin, and death. Nothing is outside of his rule. To live in his kingdom and under his authority meant having the best, most protected life possible. The disciples could not believe all that they were seeing and hearing. They were amazed by what Jesus had accomplished and were filled with joy. So according to the story, Jesus perfectly fulfills the Old Testament roles of judge, king, priest, and prophet. How does he meet the needs of Israel? And how are these also the needs of the world? How are these your needs? Are they? I think for sake of time, I might move ahead. Which of these roles do you struggle with the, the most with? So if we assume that all these roles are, all these are needs of yours and mine and the world, which of these are the hardest to receive? Yeah, so if we think of the Old Testament, like the judges in the Old Testament, like sort of um, delivered the people and created order by calling them to do what was good and right. Uh, king was Lord, has authority over everything. Priest is a mediator between God and man, so somebody who connects us with God and man and keeps our relationship intact. And then a prophet speaks the truth, um, tells us what is true, what God declares as true. That's off the top of my head, so feel free to amplify.
Yeah, that that sacrifice wasn't a even the sacrifice wasn't a plan B, you know. And so, like, always oh, a priest if I need it. So, but I'm gonna try my best not to need that priest. But like, oh no, like the story is to like want him to be the priest on our behalf to like glory in it. But yeah, it's a messy. Being a priest was a messy job, <laughs> um, a bloody job. Um, over here, somebody over here. Yeah, these roles really like protect us on every side um, in a really beautiful way. And even just thinking, just like worth reflecting another time is like how we find these roles in our life outside of um, religion, like who serves as judge um, in our world, who serves as the king over us, who serves as the priest, who like makes me righteous um, if I do X, Y, Z, um, who is the prophet? We have to. If if you don't find it in Christ, you have to find it somewhere because, like you said, we we live fearfully without this, um, and so we're trying to patch it up. I think for the what's missing piece, like mm-hmm. all of those feel like positions of power to me, mm-hmm. um, which I, I kind of see the world through that lens a lot. But um, 
Yeah, it um, yeah it makes me think about like contrasting Jesus's earlier ministry where he was so meek and so humble and such a friend to so many people, and so it'd almost be like if you like had a friend who's just so kind and great, and then something happens and they become like king of the universe, where you're like, oh, what, <laughs> you know, like the way you had gotten to know him in a lowly state, you know, like you'd gotten to know his like gentleness and kindness and character. And then suddenly through this great act, he is still your friend, like still so kind, still meek and has all the same character, but then he's become this ultimate figure um, to be both, um, you know, lion and lamb, you know, he's a lamb so gentle and meek and then also to be a lion so fierce. And pictured so beautifully in the resurrection, like the ultimate, an ultimate healing, right? But he continues to continues to do that. That's a great addition. Um, let's move through to Acts five, the kingdom. In the weeks that followed Jesus' death, he appeared to his disciples many times and was seen by over five hundred eyewitnesses. Quickly, the news about his resurrection spread throughout the region. One of his disciples named Thomas said, I won't believe he is alive unless I can put my fingers into the holes where his hands were nailed to the cross. And a few days later, Jesus appeared to his disciples and said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Feel the hole in my hand. Put your hand into the wound on my side. And Thomas shouted, it is you, Jesus, my God. Then Jesus said, I will bless those even more who haven't seen but still believe. Soon after that, Jesus said to his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations all over the world. Baptize their new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all the commands I have given you and to walk in my ways. 
And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's spirit will come, just as the prophets had promised, giving you peace, leading you in truth, and empowering you for the mission I am sending you on. Wait for him. As the disciples watched, Jesus ascended into the sky, disappearing in the clouds right in front of them. A few weeks later, a group of 120 of Jesus' followers gathered to pray together in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they heard a loud sound, like a roaring windstorm, that filled the house where they were meeting. And each of them was filled with God's Spirit and started speaking in languages that were not their own. They went out into the street and began to tell people about the great things that Jesus had done. This roaring sound was heard throughout the entire city, and a large crowd had gathered outside the house to see what was going on. At that time, Jews from all over the Roman world were living in Jerusalem. And when the people heard Jesus' followers speaking, they said, how can this be? They're from Galilee, but they're speaking in our own languages. This is amazing. One of Jesus' disciples, named Peter, stepped forward to explain to the crowds what was happening. He said, this is part of God's prophecy being fulfilled. We are eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and is the true Messiah. Then Peter explained how Jesus had fulfilled everything the prophets had said about the Messiah. He told the crowd, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God. In Jesus, you will find forgiveness. He is the final sacrifice for everyone's sin. This is God's new covenant offered to all who want to be part of God's family. That day, thousands believed what Peter had said and turned from their sins to follow Jesus. They were baptized and became part of God's family. Once again, empowered to live out God's promise to be a blessing to all people. God's new covenant was not written on tablets of stone like before, but on the hearts and minds of his people, so they would always know how to live in his ways. These followers of Jesus were deeply committed to God and each other, sharing everything they had, praying, learning God's ways together, and helping anyone in need, all with great joy and generosity. Daily, they ate together to honor and remember Jesus' life given for them. The world was not yet perfect, but in everything they experienced, they were being made perfect and being drawn closer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They saw God do amazing things through them, miracles and healings, as he added people to their group each day. This was the beginning of what the Bible called the church, a diverse community of people all over the world who, because of Jesus, once again enjoy a life that is full and complete, a life lived close to God, the life humans were always meant to live. Jesus responded to Thomas's doubt um, kindly, uh, answering it. Do you think that Thomas ever doubted again? You think now? Probably. Yeah. Uh, you hope so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe he didn't doubt the the holes in his hands and his side, but he could have doubted other things, right? Goodness, that the resurrection was for him, his own assurance. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, why did he tell the disciples to wait? How does that challenge you? 
Yeah, there's a patience there from God. Yeah, and I mean, wait, waiting figures into the story in a bunch of places, right? Uh, Abraham, Sarah waited. People waited in the wilderness. Um, there's like so. There's a lot of waiting. Um, they didn't have to wait as long as Abraham and Sarah. But um, why is Pentecost important? What does it teach us about being a disciple of Jesus? Go for it.
Is there like... Yeah, and that Jesus' perfect body includes his history. It's not like a wiping, pristine history, but it includes that whole, you said the, how gross it is. And that, is it like Raphael or whatever the painting where it's like Thomas, like putting his finger like in the like fleshy, it's like disgusting, it's like gross. Uh, but we're a very sterile uh, culture. So I think we're, we're more grossed out by it than, than anyone else. Um, yeah, and then and the diversity there also, it also emphasizes equality too, that like we don't begin to strategize and say like who has all these natural gifts, like everybody's full of the spirit, but they're speaking different languages, you know? And so men, women, old, young, um, poor, rich are all gifted. Mm. One question, uh, Jesus instructed the disciples to go and make disciples of every nation. Are the disciples right to convince others to turn from their religious traditions to follow Jesus? Um, is it still right? That's like a point of contention in our like globalist, pluralistic society, but how can that be right?
pretty sure that you've been reliable, trustworthy, kind so far, that in this in this area where it feels tricky, it's like, all right, like so, so far Jesus has been very, you know, authoritative and reliable and full of integrity and all of those things. So that help, that helps me through the question of like, well, this is this is his instructing us to move in this direction, and so it, it feels it feels in line with his character so far that we can. Yeah. Yeah, something that struck me last week, Georgia asked a similar question where when Jesus says that he's the only way, how do we react to it? And and one of the things that I remember thinking that it was so helpful to have that question asked in the context of just of all these stories of how wonderful Jesus is um, in his parables and his teaching and his meekness and his miracles, like just so he's so wonderful and then i just thought to myself like well what if if there if he wasn't the only way is there a better way like i can't having just heard these stories i can't think of a better way like i can't think of a better person than jesus i just like there's no i i can't imagine a better way than that um and so then when i think about the my neighbors my friends family coworkers, the world like would I want them to pursue a lesser way? Like, if, if he's the best, like, man, then I, then I long to offer them the best. I don't want anything else for, for them um, be, because Jesus is worth believing. So yeah, it's a great, I mean, Andy, you're saying like, is it right? I, that's a hard question, but is it good? Yeah, it feels so good um, because Jesus and the gospel of grace is so good. Um, one thing that we didn't uh, get to, and we're running out of time, I want to um, not go crazy long, but just worth talking, and you can talk amongst yourselves, <laughs> almost leaving like the hardest question. Um, you know, Pentecost uh, illustrates after Pentecost their life together, what a disciple should be like, what a church should be like, what does it say when churches are not like this? There's like a fraughtness, um, this pure church that we see. In, the, in early Acts, which quickly becomes impure, um, but then we have this whole church history, which is so hard and difficult, and so wrestling with that tension. Um, and the only thing that I would point out is that's been helpful to me, even our symbols that we use for the six Acts and how the same symbol for the period of Israel is used for the period of the church of the like forward arrow. And so it's just helped me to, to recognize the fraught history of Israel and to sort of like map like, oh, well, we have a fraught history too with like centuries of, of terrible things happening. Um, it doesn't make it any better or like cleaner, but it's been instructive to me, but it's worth asking um, because that is a question that we existentially ask and then, and then our world asks um, about churches today. I'm gonna read the conclude the end and then we'll finish. Acts 6 restoration. Jesus promised to come back one day, saying, when I return again, everyone will know I am here. It'll be like a huge flash of lightning that fills the sky. And when Jesus returns, he will restore the earth, setting it free from its curse. He will destroy all evil, sin, and rebellion. There will be no more sin or sickness, pain, or death. Everyone who followed Jesus will be resurrected and restored just like he was. And these people will live forever because sin and death will be no more. 
God showed one of his disciples named John what this will be like in a dream. John wrote down all that God showed him. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth were gone and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city coming down from God out of heaven. It looked like a bride beautifully dressed and ready for her husband. And I saw a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of Jesus. It flowed down the center of the main street in the holy city. On each side of the river grew a tree, and both were a tree of life. On them was enough fruit to heal all the nations of the world. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of Jesus will be there, and his followers will be there worshiping him. They will see his face, and they will be known and marked as his own. There will be no nighttime there, no need for lamps or sun, for God himself will shine on them, and together they will rule over everything forever and ever. John continued, Then I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is again among the humans. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sadness or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever." John also saw Jesus cast Satan and his fallen angels out of the earth and into a lake of fire. No longer could he harm God's people or God's place. And Jesus, sitting on the throne, said, Watch, I am making everything new. Everything has happened as I planned. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Everyone who overcomes the world, those who believe in me and allow me to conquer sin and selfishness in them, they will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But everyone who chose to rebel, aligning themselves with Satan, refusing God's gracious sacrifice, was sent away from God's good presence to be with Satan." God never wanted anyone he created to choose this path, but some did anyway. The last thing Jesus said to John and the churches was, watch as you wait for me, because I am coming back soon. Let's pray. Dear Father, this story is so rich. Uh, we, could and sh we could and should talk about it for hours. Um, remembering Deuteronomy 6, the instruction to meditate on your word day and night as you sit down and as you walk, as you eat. Father, would we be a people who think thoroughly about this word, about this story? Um, would we speak with one another about the tension points? Would we speak with you? Um, remembering how Jesus received questions and answered them. He received Thomas's doubts. And so I pray for those here who doubt. I pray for those here who disbelieve. All of us, um, as Tabitha said, all of us struggle with doubt, not seeing you, um, not knowing where you are, uh, calling out to you. Father, would we um, come to you and come to each other with those things? Father, I pray that you'd bless this time, that you would speak to us and... Um, we thank you for who you are and how wonderful you are. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.